Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palate, a podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Each week, join us on our journey as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark. I'm Natalie. Cheers. Cheers. All right, got a drink? Mm-hmm. Ah, mandatory, and that's very good, by the way. <laughs> we'll talk about what that is in a minute here. Um, but I'm here with Natalie, who is the R&D brewer at Breakside... Brewery. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's always brewing, brewery, whatever. So yeah. brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I think you know we always like to start with a little bit about your history or relationship with alcohol. So uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm the R&D brewer at Breakside, which is research and development. And my job is to work on interesting ingredients, uh, smaller batch beers to... Um, eventually, or possibly, maybe not, sometimes some stuff stays like small scale, but it um, has the potential to go to our production facility. So just kind of like the fun um, research-based beers. Nice. So you get to like just have a little free reign to create what you want, and then if it's good, then you just step it up to the, the bigger batches. Is that kind of yeah. right? Yeah. What's kind of cool about it is um, whether people like it or not, like us, um, it being good is... It doesn't always go big scale if it's really good. Sometimes because ingredients are so expensive, then it will stay small scale. Mm-hmm. And um, or if it's just like a super funky flavor, and we know that like you're not going to need to produce 120 barrels of it, we just keep it fun and redo it every so often and keep it like a yeah a small scale beer, but has the potential for um, large production also. Nice, I like that. I like that. And we should note we're recording here at the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, we found the ideally hopefully quite a spot here yeah. but there there you know there's going to be as any brewery there's going to be noises and things happening so mm-hmm. forgive us if it is there um but so uh, tell me a little bit how did you end up doing this i mean it's uh i mean awesome and fun thing to do yeah. so i'm always kind of curious how do you get into doing it i um didn't know that i wanted to be a brewer i studied biochem for a couple years in school didn't end up graduating from college and was working service industry jobs trying to figure out what i wanted to do and was bartending at a local brewery mm-hmm. and started following the brewer around thought that he was super cool and smart and was really impressed by how much actually went into beer because i had no idea and yeah. Followed him around a little bit, and after I got super excited about beer, I applied for a job at Burnside, a different brewery, (laughs) and washed kegs there for a little while, and ended up, after a couple years, being the lead brewer there, and I wanted to learn from some of the, you know, Breakside is one of the industry leaders, um, in Portland especially. Definitely. So I wanted to learn from them, and I got hired on as a production brewer and did that for about a year. And And that's doing more of the big batch kind of stuff, I'm guessing? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, uh, the brewery that we're in right now on Northeast Deacon is three barrels, so it's pretty small. And then we have Slabtown, which is a 10-barrel brew house, so we have an R&D brewer there also. His name's Hunter. And then we have the production facility where all of the barrel-aged beers and then everything that you see in package and... Everything that you'll see in kegs around town came from that facility. Okay, that's cool. So three barrels is the most you're putting out here. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Actually. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So what we are here to talk about today, though, um, is flavored beers, yeah. which is something I've always found interesting and intriguing because in my head, it was kind of one thing. And now that I've done a little bit of research and dove into it and, and learned a lot, it's it's like a lot more complex than I ever imagined. In, in my head, you just 
throw a bunch of fruit in with the, the barley and, and then there you go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not. So what maybe if you had to define a flavored beer or kind of maybe get into a little bit of what a flavored beer is, how might you do that? Yeah, so if you were a brewer trying to make a beer for a competition, there are guidelines and you could specifically look up what is defined as a flavored beer. And as brewers have been making more and more wild beers other than just like barley, hops, water, yeast, um, there's uh, more definitive guidelines to what's considered a flavored beer. So they'll have like field beers, fruit beers, spiced beers, flavored beers. So it just kind of depends on what exactly, like how you're trying to define it, what you're trying to define it for. But um, to me, I would define flavored beer as something that has maybe fruit, spices, flowers, dry hops, um, a specific heirloom grain, or um, anything that would be outside of the traditional German water, yeast, barley hops okay um perfect and that and so now some of the flavors and i found this out and you can again confirm or deny yeah i'm mean, <laughs> um, interested to see what you research because it's like you know for me there's some of it's intuitive and sometimes you're like oh i didn't know the internet said that but well, it's and the yeah. internet's always right right yeah exactly okay. always. <laughs> <laughs> not even close but that's all right um so uh, some of the flavors are actually going to occur naturally as opposed to actually adding anything in and I'm my understanding is this is more common with stouts and it, it's kind of you know, some of the chocolate flavors or other kind of flavors people might describe as that are actually not necessarily added it's just naturally occurring would that have any validity yeah so I think what you're saying is you can have a chocolate stout that doesn't have any chocolate in it but it tastes extremely chocolatey yes yeah so um, when you're designing a recipe if for example for a stout you have all these different barleys that are kilned at different temperatures so it's basically a giant coffee roaster and they roast barley to different degrees of darkness so you could have something that might be more coffee something that can be softer chocolate or cocoa or something that has or barley that has um more like red fruit but still like raisiny dark flavors so when you're designing a recipe depending on what you want you can meld all those flavors in with just malt okay and but that now with that just would that would you consider that anyway a flavored beer or that's just a normal beer that's exhibiting those flavors does it that make be, sense yeah uh-huh. it would just be a normal stout okay. um so you could have a uh a robust stout or a porter and you have all you have those flavors that are like you said naturally occurring based on the the mess the recipe build um, but if you wanted to make a cocoa stout, you could use all of those recipes you would, or the um, malts you'd use in a normal stout, but then add cacao nibs or chocolate-covered strawberries. You can build on the recipe that already exists and then accentuate those flavors with other um, ingredients. Okay, I'm making a note because we're going to come back and talk about how do you make chocolate-covered strawberry flavored <laughs> beer because mm-hmm. that is interesting yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll get there in a minute and actually that's that's part of what i think where when we'll get into kind of how they're made but mm-hmm. um they've been around for a long time but it, uh, again according to research here they started to become a lot more common in the 1990s um 
And according to what I've seen, about 27% of new beers are considered flavored these days. Does that oh, sound a, about right? Yeah. Um, I mean, my largest like consumer base is Portland. So I know what we're making. And, I, you know, depending on what region you're in, you have more access to ingredients. So, like, if you – there's – where I'm from in Colorado, there's an area by Grand Junction called Palisade, and mm -hmm. they make Palisade peaches. And so if you have a brewery over there, then maybe every year you have a Palisade peach beer. That makes um, sense. <laughs> or here we have access to wine grapes, so a lot of breweries here do beer-wine hybrids, and um, that could be considered a flavored beer. Or... Um, I don't know if you're in Hood River and you love the lavender that gets grown there. Maybe it's just like, yeah. you know, it's I've heard of a lavender beer. Yeah. 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 So it could be just be um, access to ingredients. So that might help, you know, increase in an area. But uh, I'm sure people, a lot of people are making flavored beer. Yes, to answer your question, Motley. <laughs> yeah, no, no that, that's good. That's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. so, so then it kind of comes to the key question. How, how is it made? And, and, my understanding there's it's not just any one answer for that. There's several different ways it can be made. So I don't know, maybe I'm asking too much or too broad of a question, but yeah. I, you know, what what's kind of your thoughts or experiences on that? So that's a that's an extremely broad question because so like we talked about stout is a beer style. So if you wanted to make a flavored beer, you start by choosing what your base beer is going to be. Choose, you know, what kind of malt you want to use, what kind of yeast you want to use, um, what kind of hops you want to use, and then within that you're going to get flavors um, from coffee to perfume to dough from the malt, and then you can have ester and phenol production from yeast, from banana, clove, pepper, white grape, neutral and then hops can add an array of spices you know grass mango pineapple floral so you're you're designing this base beer to not clash with the specialty ingredient that you're making got it so you um, kind of already have some of that because that's one of my questions kind of how you decide this so you kind of start with your base beer then you just kind of know from experience i'm guessing and and having tasted many other similar beers, kind of what might go together? Yeah. Um, so my job is really interesting because Breakside had been brewing for, you know, five or six years before I started here. So I have this wealth of knowledge from all of the brewers past mm -hmm. who have documented, hey, I use this much lavender in something and it was too soapy. So I put it in at this time and this is how long it was there so don't do it this way next time but use this information to do something different mm -hmm. um and you have the access to that in addition to um the brewing community is really uh collaborative so if you have a question about something or you want to make a beer and you want to learn from someone you can reach out to people and it's um very open and helpful so that's cool so i mean you can like call another brewery and just say hey what are your thoughts on this kind of thing? Hey, it's like not super competitive. Yeah, everyone's competitive because they want to make the best beer, but they also don't want to only drink at their brewery. They want to go drink good <laughs> beer everywhere else, so why wouldn't you, like, help your friends? That makes sense. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> but as far as, like, picking a, you know, an ingredient, for example, I make a beer called Basic Witch, oh. and <laughs> it's a, a saison, so like a farmhouse style, 
Okay. And it has uh, rose petals and rose water in it. Uh-huh. And so I built a beer. I knew the beer was going to taste really dry in the end. So instead of being soft, it would be like a little bit more sharp. And because it's a little bit more sharp, you don't want to add too much hops because you don't want it to be too bitter. And okay. you don't want to add too much rose because then it's going to be either too floral or depending on the color rose you're using. For example, red has more tannin. Oh, okay. So you know that if you're going to leave the rose in for too long or use too much of it, then you have too much tannin structure, which can, can um, compete with hop. So yeah. hop bitterness, tannin is all that like intense, like grabby feelings if you use too much. So I designed this recipe with oats and wheat so and pilsner. So it was kind of doughy, kind of fluffy from the wheat. And I knew that even though it was going to be dry, it would have this backbone of like fluff to it. Mm-hmm. And then um, because I have one of my favorite things ever is to brew with flowers. I do it all the time. It's probably my um, most common flavored beer. Nice. And um, I know that if you add rose petals to cold beer, that's all the way fermented out. It tastes like peppers oh. or not peppers, pepper, like black pepper. Interesting. Okay. So I wanted to use a yeast that would contribute to the pepper flavor, and so those were harmonious. And then I used rose water to make it floral also, because if you have never had a rose petal beer, you wouldn't necessarily know that that pepper flavor came from rose petals. So if you help people jog their experience with something that's familiar, like a floral essence, you pick a floral hop and then add rose water to it, and then you get it. So you get the rose component, but the pepper flavor is also contributing to it but not like a big like rose bomb it's just like this delicate nuance blend of flavors nice yeah and i never i would have never even thought of that you're right <laughs> if i you said this was a rose beer and you hadn't done that and i drank it and i just tasted pepper i'd have no idea i'd be like where's the rose right yep. <laughs> so and i'm like you are tasting the rose. you just don't know <laughs> yes and and that's that's it there's so much in this that that's that's Again, it's just fascinating because you hear about it, and again, it's, you're not just throwing everything in there. So mm-hmm. um, so if I'm getting this right, so to maybe narrow this down a little bit, there's a few different ways you can put it. You can put it in with the, is it the wort? No, the mash. But if you're going to do that, and again, if I'm getting this right, um, a lot of times it will cook out some of the flavor and, and wash it out, and you may also end up with a lot of extra sugars. Um, and so that's... And generally not the way to do it. That's more if you're, and again, if I'm getting this anywhere close yeah, to yeah. right, that's more if you're doing like spices, coffee beans, or things like that. That's kind of probably more likely when you would add that. Is that? So um, when you're making beer, you take water and barley, add those together, and there are enzymatic um, pathways that happen to convert to fermentable sugars that the yeast can metabolize later on. So when you have everything in the mash tun, that's when you're creating like your chocolate flavor from malt for a stout. And then um, if you wanted to put something in the mash in addition to uh, malt, it you'd have to use like, um, we once made a beer that it's it was a tart beer that's black and we wanted to make it black, but we didn't want to get roast and acidity from it. Mm-hmm. So the way that you would make cold brew, which is a lower acidity coffee. Yes. Um, and then when the coffee beans are added to heat, you produce or it like expresses more acid. You know, in congruence with that, we added the malt to cold water and steeped the grain in there. And then we took it out 
of we just like put it in a bag and took it out of the water and so then we're left with this like black water at a lower or at a you know not such a low pH and then we added that to the mash later. Um, Got it. So we were adding dark colors and flavors without roast and like intense big flavor. It was just kind of like a we're dying it basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's something that you can do to add to the mash. And then um, the next thing you do in, a, in the brewing process, so you mash in and then you convert all those sugars. And after those conversions happen, you take water and rinse the grain and it. Um, you kind of pull from the bottom of that vessel and you fill another vessel and you like, so the, let's say that the mash tun is a 16th of the volume of a kettle. Okay. So you have, you know, a little bit of liquid in the mash tun and to get the kettle full, you just rinse the grain. And as you're rinsing the grain, you're pulling and filling the kettle. So, um, the first little bit that goes into the kettle is going to be a really high sugar concentration Mm -hmm. and then you're just kind of diluting it as you're adding water but you have calculated how much water you're going to add to it so you can get like a certain amount of sugar in there got it and if this is your first time ever doing something like that then you're just winging it based on experience with other things and then doing very small batches and tasting i would imagine yeah we have a lot of um calculations that so like we're we're sitting in a mill room right now where you crush all of the grain to put it in the mash tun and um so all of these grains that are in here, we know exactly how much sugar we're going to get out of them or what the, the maltsters, the people who have uh, gotten the malt and um, kilned it, they'll tell us um, protein content, moisture content, and out of that we can calculate how much sugar we should get out of it when we have it in our mash tun. So you're actually using your math from, from school. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun. There's... Um, we use Google Sheets all the time, so you just create all sorts of equations in there. And at this point, since we've already built all the equations, unless they need to be edited, you you just plug everything in and boom, 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 and go. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, so you can you can add flavors like you know the dark, rich chocolate flavors that you get out of a stout from malt in the mash tun, and then you add hops in the boil. And depending on how long they boil, they have they contribute bitterness, flavor, or aroma. And if you have like a a hazy IPA and when you taste it, it's not bitter at all. You can't really taste like, you know, the traditional hoppy bitter flavor, but it smells like peaches and mangoes and whatever. Mm -hmm. You know that the hops weren't in there for very long because they aren't, it's like international bitter units. Like you, they're calculated by... I'm trying not to get, like, too nerdy, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's good. <laughs> um, I'm with you so far. You, each hop comes with um, all sorts of different um, acids that uh, help you calculate how much bitterness you're going to get out of them. Like, we use this uh, German varietal called Harrisbrucker, and it's 1.8% alpha acid, which is very, very low. Okay. So, if you wanted to make a beer that's... 30 international bitter units with a 1.8 um, percent alpha acid, you'd have to use a lot of hops. Okay. So okay. instead of using, especially if like the longer than it's in the boil, um, the more you're going to get out of it. So like if I make a Hellas here, I use a very small amount of hops in general, but I would be using, you know, like two ounces of this hop 
mm-hmm. because I want it to be delicate. But I was, if I was trying to make an IPA with it, you know, it wouldn't work because you would have to use like a ton, a ton <laughs> yeah. to get the same effect. So there's hops that have lower alpha acids and higher alpha acids. I'm trying to remember what Citra is right now, but it's sometimes it's like 13.2 or something like that. Okay. So you can use a little bit of that and have it's like more cost effective. So hop growers make bittering hops and Roma hops. So um, depending, I mean, there's obviously all sorts of other things. Oh yeah, no, there's yeah, no, this is oh barely touching on it. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. like full on chemistry to actually make beer. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. so we got that, so we can add it there, or it can be added, I think we talked about that after the boil, that's when you can add, yep. like, that's when you might add like real fruit, things like that, is that? Yeah, okay. so when you're, like if you go back to the boil, things other than hops, like it's the same way if you make tea. If you're making a green tea and you steep it at a really high temperature, like 200 degrees, it's gonna be bitter. Mm-hmm. And you're boiling beer, so if you add green tea to a boil and you steep it in there for a while a you're gonna get time. bitter flavor it's the exact same thing so if you like the you know more delicate non-aggressive flavors you would add it later and I personally am a big uh, I love when ingredients are added cold side I just like the to me it's like this I just really like delicate but bold mm-hmm. things in general so I feel like I have more control over how an ingredient is going to behave if I can add it later because if I'm I mean not always but no that makes sense though yeah so sometimes it's more difficult but like when I add the rose petals I know that I like them added to beer cold and I know that the alcohol in the beer is going to take the oils out of the rose petals Got it. so I know that that's a way to extract it and if I want those oils and I add it hot side it's not going to do the same thing so yeah. kind of knowing what your ingredient is and how it works you can decide where you're going to put it in also like we made this um, wit and we added kumquats to the boil mm-hmm. and there's a lot of beers where you add citrus peel to the boil and we did fresh kumquats the beer tasted really good and then as the beer ferments, it emits CO2, so it will gas off the tank. So as it's bubbling, it's going to bubble out of a bucket because we don't want to build pressure on the tank because the tank's really rated so high. Yep. And um, and there's all sorts of yeast off flavors when you have high pressure. But a lot of those delicate kumquat flavors were like a expelled out of the tank because they were bubbled off with the co2 oh okay so if we were to add it later a lot of the other beers we add it later when it's colder again with the oils and um it doesn't have as much of an option to be so volatile yeah you're not going to lose as much in that process Mm -hmm. okay that makes sense all right i'm with you so far (laughs) um and then the other way and um is adding an extract so I guess you can also add an extract, and I guess that would be at the very end. Yeah. So a uh, nerdy thing, yes. a lot of brewers don't really like to use extract because it has a like false flavor. Like, mm-hmm. You know the difference between the way a cherry tastes and cherry medicine tastes. Yes. You know that it's cherry flavored because that's what the label says, and you can associate that. But if you were to use cherry flavoring or cherry extract in something, someone would drink it and be like, oh my god, this tastes just like cherry medicine, because it may indeed be the exact same extract. 
So it's um, kind of cheating almost a little bit. Or maybe not cheating, but sometimes. it's not as pure, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think, like, Bring is this really cool, like, punk rock version of the Maker's Movement. I guess the Maker's Movement in general is all about, like, craft and knowing how to use ingredients. And anybody can dump extract into a tank, but knowing how to zest an orange so you're not getting the pith, but you're getting enough flavor from the zest and... You don't, you know, you don't want to use anything. I don't know. There's just like all these, like, to me, skills. Oh, it's a full skill, full on skill. Yeah, it's artistry basically. Yeah, choosing yeah. ingredients, knowing how to use them, when to add them, how much to use. It's hard, and you don't nail it every time, but you learn. Yeah, like we, I recently made a a prickly pear tart beer, and I was initially going to based it off of a margarita. So mm-hmm. I was going to get prickly pear, like fruit or tuna, and soak that in tequila. And then I got prickly pear puree, which is a really great um, alternative to processing fruit yourself. Yep. But a lot of places will make it aseptic, so you can add it into a tank, and there's no sugars that you're going to add in that are going to re-ferment. Okay, yes, that's important. So you're basically just adding fruit flavor instead of sh- more sugar for the yeast to metabolize. Um, anyway, so I added prickly pear, and then um, I didn't end up getting, for some reason I couldn't find any fruit that had been frozen, so it had to be in season to be used, but a lot of times you can find stuff that's flash frozen, mm-hmm. and I like a lot of fruit, just for, not for everything, like fresh fruit always is the best, but sometimes if you use like blueberries, if you were to get flash frozen blueberries, and then you let them thaw, the cell, um, like the cell walls are already like broken down so you kind of like can use like you've melted fruit from the fr- yeah, freezer yeah. before and it's like so much juicier already, yeah very juicy very kind of mushy yeah, yeah so yeah. sometimes like that's fun to use but anyways um this prickly pear beer just ended up being um pureed prickly pear orange zest and lime zest and i put in the dosage rate for like we make a passion fruit sour beer so i mimicked the dosage rate for that and it wasn't enough prickly pear, so I added more in. Okay. And it's like that. You start from your baseline. Now all you're doing is making me want to drink these beers, and they're this not available. This beer was available. really good. It was <laughs> it really sounds cool. Good. <laughs> sounds really good. Mm-hmm. I'll probably make that one again um, this summer just because it sold so fast. Because it was also hot pink oh. and kind of cool. <laughs> A hot pink beer. That is cool. Well, prickly pear is like magenta it's such a pretty it is, cool isn't it? Actually, color yeah and I then i really thought about that but it is yeah you're obviously like diluting it and i hadn't really considered the fact that it was going to be like a cool pink beer but it was really clear and you you know set it down on the bar and someone was like oh my gosh what's that cider and we're like <laughs> no beer mm-hmm. <laughs> all right well i'll be keeping my eyes open this summer then mm-hmm. for that one to come out and i will be rushing here before it sells out yeah. <laughs> um now you mentioned a little bit about wanting to um bring in the tequila or something, but I said something about it's illegal to add distilled spirits. Is that accurate? Or Yes, so you can't add distilled spirits, but if you wanted to, like, soak an ingredient, like raisins, like rum-soaked raisins, mm, okay. then you would, you know, remove all of the rum from the raisins, and you could add the raisins to a barrel or something like that, and then add the beer on top of it. Or um, you add beer to a barrel you know, along those lines. But you cannot add distilled liquids to beer. It's a different liquor license. I, I think maybe if you had whatever the distilling liquor license is and you sold it as 
That's you'd almost have to that. sell it as, I'm just making up, I, I probably, probably wouldn't like, taste good, but you'd have to have, be selling tequila to sell like a tequila beer. Exactly. Well. exactly. Okay. Well, a lot of people will make like tequila barrel aged beer, but yes, you couldn't actually use the tequila. Yeah. And, and if you did the in the tequila barrel, does that, that would give it some of the notes of tequila, a lot, but you're yeah. actually not actually adding tequila. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite beers that I've made was a Belgian like petite saison, so it was just low alcohol, really cool, and then I put it in a Pinot barrel, Pinot Noir barrel, mm-hmm. with uh, spent gin botanicals from a local distillery, nice. and we're actually, um, being the R&D brewer, I have you know full creative freedom to create all sorts of really amazing beers, but we have the larger production facility and there's, you know, 25, 30 people over there that are also, you know, highly skilled, smart people yes. and they want to make beers and maybe they don't know how to write a recipe and it's it's not their job to do that. So I try to like pull those ideas in and let those brewers have a chance to make beers that they want to make because they're awesome and it's yeah. really exciting to you know, have them be a part of everything. And it's also exhausting to try to come up with a new recipe all the time. (laughs) So uh, it's, you know, great for all of us. (laughs) But um, Daniel is one of our production brewers and he wanted to, is actually really cute. So Dylan and Daniel are production brewers and um, Dylan's actually a new R&D brewer, but side note. And Dylan gave Daniel a bottle of gin Okay. Uh, I don't know why. It was just like a cute little thing. And Dil- or Daniel really liked the gin. And he was like, I really want to make an IPA with, you know, something that tastes like gin, but like more grapefruit forward. So I actually tracked down the distiller that made the gin that he originally was gifted and really liked. And we got the spent gin botanicals from them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so they were out of, I can't remember if it was Eugene or Corvallis. But I drove down there, picked up the spent gin botanicals. And then, because they're not actually gin, it's just basically their trash. Um, yeah. We we made his IPA called Apothecary IPA, and uh, we added some extra grapefruit zest to it. But I'm gonna be um, brewing another version of his beer in a couple weeks, and we're getting gin botanicals from Freeland Distillery okay. in Northwest, which is a female-owned and operated oh, distillery. Very nice, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, that's cool, and and that's I mean that's. I, again, just bringing in all those ideas, stuff you'd never think of, and mm-hmm. that's awesome. So. Yeah, and the beer you're drinking, Shuck the Patriarchy, is from one of our other production brewers. Her name's Annie, mm-hmm. and she had an opportunity to brew a beer for She Brew, an um, all-female homebrew competition. And they're at the festival, they have homebrews, but then they also showcase female brewers in Oregon, because yep. that's where the, the homebrew fest is. And Annie, as a female brewer, got to make a beer. So she came down here and wanted to make an oyster stout. She used to live on the coast. So we picked some of her favorite oysters, brought them in. And it was my first time making an oyster stout. But so, you know, I helped her make a recipe. She told me what she wanted. We built it all. And then she came down here on the day with me and we shucked a bunch of oysters and put them in the beer. And then she got to have it at a a beer festival. Yeah, And I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about that. So in in the... Oyster stout, I mean, that's like, so there's legit oysters mm-hmm. um, it, as part of that process, yeah. right? So we made, um, the wort is the liquid that is beer before it's fermented. And in the wort, when we boiled it, we made dashi out of the wort. So um, 
Dashi is like a broth with uh, bonito flakes and seaweed. Okay. Kombu. So we went to an Asian mart and got like kombu, which is just long. Like these pieces of seaweed were as tall as she was. So we nice. put that in the kettle and then we put the bonito flakes in there and we mimicked how you would make dashi. So you like put the seaweed in until it gets to a certain temperature and then you take it out and then you um, bring it up to a boil and then you shut the boil off because we couldn't simmer it. So we basically got it to a high temperature and then let it sit there. Got and then we added the bonito flakes and then we took them out after 10 or 15 minutes and then we turned it on and boiled it. And then in the last uh, couple minutes we added the oysters that we shocked and put in there. And we put the shells and the meat and the like liquor, the juice of the oysters. Nice. Nice. That's <laughs> awesome. Okay, so I'm going to ask and then we're going to hit a couple interesting flavors that I came across. Yeah. Um, but before that, we mentioned chocolate strawberry. So now mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to use what little I've learned here so far <laughs> and guess that the chocolate is probably coming somewhere from, again, the, the barley, I think, that's mm -hmm. how it's roasted. Yep. And then the strawberries would be some kind of a, a thing you would add later, and then that's how you get a chocolate strawberry. Am yeah, I, so you... So some of the malts that you can use will express like red fruit flavors. So you can kind of like build the beer to be chocolatey and like red fruit forward. So then when you literally could add chocolate and strawberries and you could use dehydrated strawberries, you could use fresh strawberries and you could use cocoa nibs, you could use whatever kind of chocolate, dark chocolate, light chocolate. Then you could add those into the like literally into the liquid okay. and let them sit on them and then you take it off of them like when the flavor has gotten to the height that you want it to get to. Is that while fermenting, after, during? Probably after. After um, fermenting. Okay. Or you would anticipate a small re-fermentation from the strawberries maybe. Okay. Depending on how you're using them. Okay. Interesting. All right. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. It's just fascinating. That's you, how, I mean, you could do it a lot of different ways. That's just one way. Yeah. And and that's what I think was I found very interesting about, again, flavored beers is in my head, from what little I knew, I just imagined you throw everything in the pot, brew it, and then you got the flavors. Yeah. Um, and it's just obviously so much more complex than that, which gives me a whole new respect for all of the flavored beers. Not that I didn't respect them before. Totally, but it's to, just different. Yeah, to know how much goes into that, I mean, above and beyond. Again, it's not just throwing in a fruit. You've got to think about so many different things, mm -hmm. and including, like you said, the sugars, and when do you add it, and how do you add it, and how is this going to affect that, and how are they going to balance, and all that other fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, so. and like the prickly pear beer, obviously there's access to pureed fruit. Um, like locally, there's a place that purees all this fruit, fruit when the fruit is in season and then they just freeze it so when you want it you get it frozen and it's just pureed fruits all you have to do is thaw it out and then you can add it to the the vessel um and it's a pretty cool you know way to access fruit any time of the year so if you had a year-round beer that you needed to add that fruit to you probably have access to that yeah which makes sense because like you said in some places it's local you can take advantage of the the hard local harvest yeah. and that's awesome but that's once a year versus something that's not local and you might want to make it at some time when it's not there yeah. so that's when it's there for you but i couldn't do what i fully wanted to do because i didn't have access to actual fruit like the you know the, the tuna in season so i could have planned that and made it so i was making it in you know, August or July when all that would be ready. So kind of paying attention to that. And um, Breakside does a lot. Uh, we don't use puree that much, but um, we prefer to use fresh fruit because we want to process everything, know exactly what we're putting in, how much, what the fruit looks like, 
and we also like to work with farmers so that we can you know support local businesses and have access to great products and try to use organic when we can and it's all about like making a quality product all around so you're you know it's just like if you go to a nice restaurant you know that all of that food is going to be curated rather than you know just have it delivered and you just cook it because you ordered it not necessarily picking it out yeah yeah and that's the wonderful thing about craft breweries i think is mm-hmm. is they really get to that level they care uh, yeah. and, and they can care i mean not that the macro breweries whatever don't care but when you're producing that much beer at that level it, it's it's hard to you know to, to be able to, to do all of that right yeah and the difference is you'll see a price difference because these beers take longer cost more money mm. you know in labor in product um and if it's a, like a barrel aged fruit beer you know that that beer is sat for a while so it's basically you know just costs more money to make so if you see a difference in price no one's trying to like rip you off it's because you know that's a quality beer that takes time that has good ingredients in it and you know it's just like buying a bottle of wine you know that it's going to be like higher quality higher caliber because of a higher price yeah and and that's one thing i think that i've learned as i've delved into the craft beer world is that it is a little more expensive but it's worth every little penny that you pay and, yeah. and it's actually probably worth more than you're paying for it when you really look at all the work that goes into it yeah there's like if you go to the grocery store and you're trying to buy like a bomber of beer a 22 ounce bottle of beer you there's some breweries that make you know 250 8.5 percent alcohol and people are kind of like abv shopping so mm-hmm. they're like i can buy this for you know 250 and it's going to be i'm going to get drunk because that's what i want or <laughs> yep. you know it's a larger volume and you know you can buy our Pilsner, I don't know how much it is on the shelf right now, but you can buy a 22 of it, and you're going to get really good, like, German lager beer that tastes amazing and beautiful. And it might be, you know, a dollar or two more than the other beer, but you're going to get a really good beer. Yeah, and and I guess it's your, your goal, right? Do you want a good beer or do you want to get drunk fast, right? Exactly. So mm-hmm. there, there's something for everyone, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of something for everyone, um, that we close out here a little bit, um, some interesting flavors that I found, and one I found, which... Then I saw in your guys' menu that is similar. Mm-hmm. There was like a Lucky Charms flavored. And I noticed you guys have a Rainbows and Unicorn. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, that's just a name. But in Rainbows and Unicorns, is just like a hoppy beer. So it's a lot of like fruit flavors, but n- no actual like cereal. Okay, because I thought I saw it said uh, something in that direction in the description. So maybe probably I misread t- it. They or- probably said Taste the Rainbow or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's something good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's a, uh, a Voodoo Donut Maple Bacon Ale, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's Habanero, Pickle, Barbecue. Um, and part of me, as I'm looking at all these, I'm thinking these are things that maybe they're good, but maybe shouldn't have been made. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely like a shock value that people are making beers you know, it's exciting. Like, hey, I'm going to go to my friend's house and I just saw this blueberry muffin beer. Like, look how exciting this is. I'm going to go try that. But um, I personally enjoy beers. Like, we made this um, uh, this barrel-aged beer series and there is a couple of different variations. And one of the variations was Boconotto based off of, like, a little Italian cookie. Oh, okay. And so despite being, like, this really big beer, there was, like, lemon zest and a couple other different things in there to mimic that. And it's just like so cool and so pretty. Mm-hmm. And maybe you read that it's like a cookie stout and it sounds, you know, intense and obscure. But when you look at it and you see like how nuanced and delicate it is, it's not just like throwing donuts into a beer. Not the not to, you know, 
<laughs> diss no, anyone right. for doing that because we do all sorts of gimmicky things just for fun because we enjoy it also. But I also think that there's just a really good uh, like quality marker when you're doing stuff because it tastes good, not just because you want to put cereal in a beer. Yeah, right? yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And uh, and I totally get that. And again, not to like diss anyone because we do ridiculous stuff too. But Oh, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. And that's why I mentioned some of those though because they did kind of stand out of the crowd a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, maybe a gimmicky yeah. um, get some attention, right? Yeah, we do a um, Szechuan pepper beer. So mm. um, it's just like a light blonde ale and then you have like a Szechuan pepper. So you get the sensation and then... Um, I'm trying to think, like, what else? I want to say you guys had one here that I had, um, I think it was over a year ago, maybe a year and a half, and it was, um, it had some kind of spices, and I want to say it was uh, either Mexican or South American type of spices. Oh, Aztec? Yes, Aztec, thank Uh you, okay. Yep. Um, Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, it's like a Mexican hot chocolate type thing, where it's like spicy cocoa and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, we made uh, another brewer from Breakside. His name is Chris. He wanted to make a rice lager, so we made a rice lager with um, Korean chilies. So we named it K-pop. So oh, nice. yeah, this like really cool rice flavor, but then it was like topped out by spices, and um, like we said, prickly pear. And we have a huge barrel program, and we'll do like, one day when I first started Breakside, we processed an entire pallet. So like. I don't even know how many hundreds of pounds worth of mango. So we cut them all by hand oh, wow. and then pureed them. We have like this huge immersion blender that's the size of my leg and <laughs> um, pureed the fruit and then put it into the, the barrels and fermented it on that with different um, like Britannomyces and different things in there for over a year. So uh, there's all sorts of crazy stuff that goes into all of our beer, but hopefully it's, you know, we want it to be thoughtful. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, before we kind of wrap, anything you want to throw out in, in the world of flavored beers or thoughts? Any any parting pieces of wisdom? Don't disregard the delicate, nuanced flavor beers because there are so many loud uh, versions of things, like uh, different versions of beers, like you said, the cereal beers. Like, Don't disregard craft beer just because there is that loudness. Pay attention to all of the really cool, nuanced, carefully thought out beers. Yeah, I think, again, I will. I know I'll be doing that <laughs> going forward. Um, and I just kind of leave with, I mean, some people hate even the concept of flavored beer. They think it's impure, it's not good, it's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the minority, but they're kind of loud. Um, but a lot of people love it. And I think um, overall, I mean, it, it's like... Again, now that I know so much more and I know the nuances and I know kind of what goes into it, I think it, it just brings so much more to it. So I would agree with you and encourage people to kind of try it, especially, you know, again, maybe it doesn't have to be the, you know, the cereal beer or the, you know, whatever, habanero, whatever, but mm-hmm. um, to give it a go because it, it can be very, very good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those beers often come in smaller sizes. So if you just want to taste it, you can get like a little 10 ounce pour and then you get to know it a little bit and... If you like it, you can have more. If not, then you just had your little taste and you know what it tastes like. That's what I do with the Aztec yeah. beer. I ordered the little one and then I ordered the big one. Yep. <laughs> so it was perfect. Okay. Well, uh, so for a summary of what we talked about, ideas for future topics, if you have any questions, uh, anything else, you can reach out to us at theunsophisticatedpalette.com. Uh, please subscribe and rate us. And until next time, drink responsibly. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>